Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean is here to talk about what's going on in the world of commodities. So Sean, how are you doing today? I'm good. Back from South Dakota, where I had a few presentations went really well, and uh, I'm back home for the rest of the month, and looking forward to uh, some family time for right sure. On. So, yeah. so was South Dakota pretty similar to South Florida? Is it pretty close? The same thing? Um, <laughs> because of my dyslexia, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> good answer, Sean. Good answer. Because I, I saw 38 and I said 83, which is pretty yeah. similar to what it is here. Yeah. So everything was fine other than I needed a winter jacket to stay warm. Just so. that 83 felt a lot colder than 83. And it was, right, uh, the right. one night was 15 when I woke up in the morning. Yeah. Um, a little chilly. And, you know, pretty typical for South Dakota, though. I mean, yeah. Nothing unusual. Balmy. It That's was clear, though. Yeah. It was clear, so you know, I didn't have to battle any uh, snow, which... I can take cold all day long and just keep keep the blizzards away from me. Yeah, so yeah, we've had a pretty mild um, weather pattern. I mean, it's been cold, but I mean, as far as moisture kind of ro- rolling through the area, you talked about this a little bit earlier. You know that 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 central uh, east weather pattern that we'd see. You're starting to see some of that. You know, more rain and those kind of things pop up in the uh, in the central in the in well, the uh, that, plains that, area. That, that snow uh, event in that mm-hmm. in the northeast north northeast that kind of surprised everybody, 
it's you know late this month it's really going to kick in we got a sudden traffic warming event now we're gonna have a second one uh, later in the month and that's really going to create wild disruptions of the polar vortex um and because it's an El Nino Mordecai, it's going to drive uh, that pattern into the eastern half of the country versus the western half of the country that we had last year. So it's just a flip. It's going to it's going to be a warm east, uh, a warm west, cold east, um, and a fair fair bit of snow in the east. Already, we're seeing record cold in northern Europe, uh, eastern Europe, and of course, Russia is still looking at 100 year record cold temperatures. That's going to start moving into Asia and China. So, so the, the cold air is there, and it's just a question of getting it aligned to come into North America, which we've said for a long, long time, late December is when the everything is going to line up for that to happen, and then it's going to be a pretty cold three months, you know, Jan, Feb, March. Uh, a fall spring's coming for April, for April, meaning we're going to have a nice warm-up. The planners are going to rock and roll, and then we're going to have a hard – uh, the highest risk for a late spring hard freeze in probably 20 years, according to our work in this, that, that let's say uh, first half in the middle of May, that could cause considerable havoc for winter wheat and obviously for early planted soybeans and corn, but especially corn because the corn crop is, is the planters like to roll early for corn versus soybeans. So, Correct. Yep. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. This is going to be a, a, a different pattern that we've seen here the last couple of years very different yeah i mean really really different um uh and remember because we're, we're looking at an el nino ending and the la nina coming back it's exactly opposite from last year when the la nina was ending el nino was so so everything is just kind of you know we're kind of doing this this year and yep. it doesn't mean it's going to be exactly opposite but um definitely not going to be looking we're going to be looking at some some pretty significant different weather patterns uh, for sure, without question. Yeah, for sure. Right on. So we've got a question from a listener, and uh-huh. his name is, or his or her name, I'm not for sure. Hill Country 11 says, you, you're delivering information. Unlike most YouTube channels, you have guests that offer more than talking their book or opinionated rhetoric. Thank you. Uh, we are interested, would be interested to hear what Sean thinks about the weather and crop conditions of our wheat crop in the U.S., both hard and soft wheat, and then also what your price outlook might be on them. Well, first of all, when you look at wheat, you just can't look at the U.S. You got to look at the global wheat picture. It's it's a global market. You can't make a price forecast on just the U.S. alone. Quite frankly, we're what fifth most important now in the world. Russia's number one. Um, you know, so so I so. So that's the first thing I would, I'd say you got to focus on everything. So I'll answer the question this way. First of all, we know that just because crop conditions going into dormancy are poor, doesn't mean that you're going to have a poor crop. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, there's a lot of examples of very poor uh, conditions going into dormancy and we had a very good spring and everything turned out just fine. Um, not having said that, obviously, if you go into dormancy with poor conditions, the risks are higher that if weather isn't actually perfect, that you could have problems. So when I look around the world, Russia is seeing excessive rainfall uh, during dormancy, and that's not good for quality 
at all. In fact, it's, it's deteriorating quality considerably. Europe is going through very much the same kind of very, very wet pattern in the dormancy, very poor conditions, conditions declining as we speak uh, as the dormancy phase goes forward. Um, the U.S., I'd call the U.S. conditions, uh, certainly SRW, not very good uh, compared to where it's been the last few years. For HRW, better. But, of course, the last two years it was so bad. I mean, it's hard not to be a little bit better. But overall, I don't view the conditions of winter wheat here in the U.S. terribly good. And if we have that uh, late spring freeze, it really doesn't matter what the quality is because that's going to be a devastating blow to winter wheat coming out of dormancy. Um, so when I look at the world, you know, Australian wheat, uh, terrible shape. We already know that the wheat crop in uh, Argentina, terrible shape. And we know that Russia is finally backing away from exports. They're finally deciding to back away, to sell less, not hit the bid every single time. Um, and without them selling, there really isn't a lot of, of wheat in the, in the world at this point. So um, we have our smart money algorithm that we created that goes over um, capital flows, is getting this probably the second or third strongest buy signal we have seen ever. And we're in the top five percentile of smart money buying that we've ever seen. So it, it tells me that every bear is on the one side of the boat in wheat. And of course, we're down 60% from the highs. Um, usually when everyone is on the same side of the boat, something happens to cause um, the market to get decide that they're on the wrong side and have to go the other way. So we're in a very unique position right now that uh, tells us to watch out for some explosive upside heading into spring. In fact, we saw a nice update yesterday. We're seeing another nice update today in winter wheat. So um, I like the prospects for wheat right now. If you're somebody that is sitting with wheat, uh, you know, I would be very reticent to sell right now. I'd be more looking at marketing opportunities as we move into the springtime. If you have to sell, if you don't have a choice but to sell, I find a way to keep my top side open on those sales by, you know, do, doing something, you know, doing some protection to the upside with, you know, hedging and such and such. So like the prospects for winning wheat a lot from a whole host of reasons. And, um, and I actually think that we might have completed this extended multi-month bottom that we've been developing. This could be the week, the turning point week where we turn the market up and begin an uptrend here. It's been a long while that we've seen anything good on wheat, but we might actually be at an, an important flexion point here. So keep an eye on that. Right on. Well, thanks for the question from Hill Country 11. Uh, send me your uh, address and I'll send you a little gift for sending that uh, email in. So I appreciate that. Um, if you have a question like that for Sean, make sure you hit him up, send them, send them your way, and we'll make sure we ask those questions on the podcast when we record, or anybody for that matter. Send, send a question, we'll do that. All right. The questions are great. I, I love questions. I think that's always good to answer what's on the mind of people out there versus what we happen to think is important. You know, mm-hmm. I'd rather answer what they think is important, but uh, definitely I think having some questions at Q&A is uh, – I know when I go out and speak at conferences, Q&A is, is very, very uh, – beneficial to everyone uh in the room yep so yeah q a is great because it like you just said it gives you the the 
pulse for what everybody's looking for at that point. So, right on. And, and it's like a lot of times people have questions that, that is on their mind, but they're afraid to ask it. And then somebody asks it, but it was on the I was on everyone's mind, right. and then it, they everybody gets what they were afraid to ask. Yep. It's it's you know so. Anyway, it makes makes a big difference for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's jump over and talk a little bit about what's happening in the cotton market. Well, first off, let's do this. You already kind of hit on a little bit about the the buy signals that you're seeing kind of pop up out there. You sent one out to your for your um, uh, a report out or a, a text alert out yesterday, kind of going over that. Kind of hit on the corn side of that a little bit. That was part of that that alert. Yeah. Um. For those who don't know, we, we, we've developed a, a smart money algorithm that utilizes uh, backtesting uh, commercial speculators, small speculators, commercial operators, and we've been able to develop uh, who, which one, one of these constituents typically buy most at the lows and sell most at the top, and we, we call it our smart money algorithm. And we every market has a DNA marker that every time we get to a certain level, historically it's occurred at an important either top or bottom. Um, never use any one indicator in isolation. We always use it as a part of weather and other things that we're looking at, but it's an important indicator. And what we indicated in our text alert to our customers and subscribers yesterday was that uh, both corn and wheat were, saw activity in the last few weeks that pushed uh, buying of smart money at levels that are in the top 5% of, uh, percentile of historical precedent. That means that the buying has reached a very unusual level of strength that constitutes us to be wanting to be uh, thinking that what, what we're dealing with here is the end of a low um, and the potentially the beginning of something more protracted to the upside. Um, and so what we look, once we get that kind of a reading, you know, we just look for technical indicators to tell us the market's turning up. So like we, what we did yesterday and what wheat's doing today, you know, we're getting close to breaking the chart pattern to the upside. Um, that, that's like a, another trigger that tells you, you know, the smart money timing is, is on and, and something is about to happen here. Because remember, they know things I don't know, you don't know. Um, and that's what's important is that we can't know everything. But if we can follow the capital going in and out of our markets and we can time that with some other factors like weather, uh, geopolitics, currencies, um, and technicals. It helps gives us an idea of when physical buyers should be being a little more aggressive or when uh, producers need to be more aggressive selling their cash production. So our highlight yesterday was if you're on the buy side of corn and wheat, physical buyers, and we're getting this kind of a signal, Casey, it says to me, you, know, you need to be getting more aggressive with protecting upside price risks uh, to... <coughs> Lock in an economic advantage. Right on. Okay. Let's jump over and talk about cotton here for just a minute. So cotton, um, not like it's a big surprise here, but we, we haven't talked about it for a little while. But looking at the cotton market, um, cotton market is down right now. It's trading down um, about a penny at 78 cents a pound. Um, if you take a look at where it's been at, um, uh, kind of historically, we've seen a, a, a kind of a over the last I don't know. You know, November is such a bad month for for every commodity. It seemed like that you know we had some sharp drop offs in in the price of cotton. But as you're looking at there, it's kind of bouncing back, but it's kind of hovering in that that high seventies, low eighty range, kind of bouncing back and forth there. 
Sean, as you take a look at the cotton market, your thoughts as we move into the end of the year, uh, cotton harvest just kind of got wrapped up in most places. Well, they're still kind of going after it, but mostly it's wrapped up in a lot of places. As you look at that cotton market right now, what are your thoughts there? You'll have to remember it's a cyclical commodity. Sure. It falls well before economic weakness. It rises well before economic strength, meaning it bottoms when things look absolutely awful economically. And it tops when things look absolutely amazing economically. You have to be able to buy when you don't want to and sell when you don't want to. That's what a cyclical stock, a cyclical commodity, ain't that cyclical. That's the, the nature of the pattern. So, you know, cotton topped out a year ago, well before the current consumer economic weakness we're seeing now that's really, really caving in. Um, but it, it's it's been falling for over a year, Casey. This is not, you know, so... So, you know, we're getting ready to, we're getting ready for the Federal Reserve and central banks of the world to start lowering rates and printing money, especially in election year. It is going to come sooner than anybody thinks right now because from what I can see, the consumer demand side of the equation is in collapse mode right now. I was on airplanes half full. I haven't seen that, Casey, in a long, long time. A half full plane going to Florida from Denver is typically, you know, they're telling people you want to take a ticket for 600 for another flight because we, we, we overbooked half a flight. So there's definitely, uh, I think we're going to get some shockingly um, disturbing news on consumer activity and the Federal Reserve is going to start lowering rates. And that means the cotton market's going to start going up well in advance of the improvement in the economy. I, and the improvement in the economy needs to start happening in this back half of 24 as elections come out. So if that is the case, then we should see the cotton market starting to put some kind of a bottom in here and start to work its way higher you know, into the first half of 24 in anticipation of better demand coming in the back half of 24 as monetary policy and governments do what they always do is they throw money around to try to buy votes. And so, um, and remember, we had horrible crops globally last year in cotton, terrible crops. So the supplies are not really very good. If we get any kind of better demand at all, Casey, the supply side of the equation can't absorb a lot of increase in demand. It'll very quickly get into a, a situation of not enough supply versus the demand that's out there. So um, I like the cotton market here. If I'm a physical buyer, if I need to buy cotton, uh, you know, I, I think this is a place that you should be adding to your physical coverage um, and locking in what I think, in hindsight, is going to be a pretty good, solid economic price. I think this 75 to 80 cent area on the nearby price, you know, could, you know, I think this is an area that this market's going to dig its heels in and, and start turning itself up. The minute that the Federal Reserve or starts to tell everyone that they're going to start lowering rates, the cyclical commodities like cotton, like crude oil, you know, like copper, for example, they're going to start moving and moving very, very quickly. So, so the way these cycles work, the first markets that move are your monetary assets, gold, silver, then the, and you know, Bitcoin, your monetary assets have been taking off here the last 30 to 60 days because they're the first movers getting ahead of inflation. Then the monetary levers are, are pulled, then the cyclical commodities start coming back, like we just mentioned. Um, and, and then you get your your more staple commodities that start coming back. Those are general trends. Of course, within those trends, there's weather and other things that are going on. Remember, we're extremely negative 
on the U.S. dollar for 2024, we think we could enter to some degree some kind of a crash market in 24 for the U.S. dollar. Currency-led inflation is a powerful, powerful repricing mechanism that even if fundamentals remain exactly the same today, six months from now, if we have a crashing dollar, the the, the price of any commodity that's priced in U.S. dollars will be considerably higher just on the currency move alone, having nothing to do with whether there's a change in the fundamentals. If we were to get a change in the fundamentals more bullishly, then you have it in a bigger move. So, so there's a lot of factors that go into what's corn going to trade for, what's cotton going to trade for. We've been trading a strong dollar and a very restrictive monetary policy and a weakening economy for over a year. Very negative for commodities. And we've been in a bear market for commodities for over a year. If we start seeing the dollar work down, if we start seeing the monetary authorities loosening back and we start getting better economic activity, now all three headwinds become tailwinds for 2024. That is what we see. Um, and the bearishness in commodities right now uh, in many markets is extreme, the way we're looking at it. So. Right on. Okay. A lot of moving parts right now, man. Tell you what, it's just it's it's very very weird. I mean, I I talked to a lot of people about a lot of different things. You know, when you start looking at, you know, we were talking equipment, we're talking economy, whatever it is, and man, I tell you what, it's the it feels like there's more uncertainty in 2024 than there's been in any time leading up to this. And I think um, as you look at what's going on, as I look at it. It's not so much that people think the wheels on the bus are going to fall off. They just don't know if they need to plan for the wheels on the bus to fall off or plan for uh, a, a quality, um, profitable year. So that it's just one of those things where no one, no one knows what, where the, what the next move is going to look like. And it's all hinging on what this interest rate thing looks like and what the, what the Fed's going to do or not do. Unfortunately, our system is tied to money supply or lack thereof, the cost of capital or lack thereof. When you are so far indebted as everyone in the world is, all the governments are and all the corporations are and all the consumers are, that controls the whole ball of wax. And you know they purposefully have tried to put pressure on all these factors to get inflation down. But inflation is down, and it's continuing to fall, and it's going to continue to fall. So the inflation monsters, they've fixed it. Now they just got to make sure they don't overdo it. Um, and 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 not create um, a, uh, uh, a an economic too much of an economic problem that forces them to have to overprint again, you know. And 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 so I, I I hope hope you know that they're a little more forward thinking this time and recognizing that in order to avoid their mistakes in the past of overdoing everything all the time, that they need to start lowering rates sooner. Rather, than, it doesn't mean going back to zero percent. That was nonsense. I hope that never, never yeah. happens again. I'm talking about bringing yields back to three and a half percent, for example, down from five and a half percent. That would be a, a a reasonable normalization back down that would provide a buffer to the economy. It would ease the cost of capital, and it would uh, it, it would go a long way into you know moving into a more moderate um, period for. Uh, the economy to kind of you know move in a more regular fashion versus what took place with COVID when we had the crash and the boom and all the crazy things that have happened. You know, we we need to try to put things 
get back into kind of a, a, a bottle that's reasonable again. Uh, you know, we had this crazy undulation from all these monetary and, and fiscal craziness that went on. And so I'm hopeful that they realize that moderation here is really what everybody wants. As you said, stability, clarities, you know, I'd rather have a, a clear one and a half percent growth rate than an unclear, uh, volatile where you go from 5% uh, growth to, to, a, to, to, the, to a recession. You know, I'd rather have more of a steady eddy. People can plan for that than wild gyrations back right. and forth. It's very hard, yeah. as you said, to correctly plan for that. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird time. It's just a weird feeling in the universe right now. So uh, to it is, it is globally, not just in the United States too. I mean, you take this everywhere. So it's a weird, weird, it time. is. All right. Lastly, let's take a look over here at what we see going on in um, the protein side of the markets. Um, we've seen, you know, again, November was such a tough month on just about everything. Um, you know, cattle prices, hog prices, and all that stuff just got battered in the month of November. Um, as you look at the protein markets now, Sean, as we head into um, what we see happening, you know, the African swine fever, they've read a lot of reports where that's really starting to get into some fears of uh, Vietnam and those areas like that. We're starting to see more Asian countries get that African swine fever pressure. Do you feel like there is a opportunity for export of hogs to really crank up now that we see maybe some more opportunity for um, rebuilding of herds again in, in Asia. It's got to run its course though. Um, you know, it, we, we had a first round of it earlier in the year and it looked like it run its course and we were going to get ready. And then they had another round of it. And so we have to get through that herd liquidation. According to our calculations and looking at the way this typically plays out, the herd liquidation from this round should be over in the first quarter. And then they rebuild second quarter onward. So I think there's going to be an opportunity in hogs from a physical buyer perspective in the first quarter. Um, until then, it's going to be tough sledding. We're not going to be able to sell much to the to Asia or China. Uh, we have California doesn't want to buy it from those that aren't treating our animals correctly, according to them. And, um, you know, we have beef cutout, I mean, uh, pork cutout prices at December 2020 levels. Tell me how many price, how many things are priced back where they were in December of 2020. Not a whole lot of things. I mean, it's, it's just a tough, it's a tough period for hogs right now. And, and, um, I think there could be some more downside as much as I hate to say that because they're already experiencing historical losses. I think there could be some more downside into the first quarter. I think most of the downside is over, let's say three quarters of it, I think, but I, 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 I'm not sure we're done yet. I, I think we might have to price a little more downside, but once we do and we get our, other, our, our capital flows algorithm and other things kind of lined up and we see, uh, the price of hogs and pork in, in China starting to improve based upon ASF coming down, <coughs> then there should be an historic opportunity. I'm not sure we're, we're quite there yet, Casey. I wish I felt we were. I, I don't think we are. I think we might have more one more shoot a drop for hogs and pork prices in the first quarter, sadly to say. Cattle is just different. Cattle rose all last mm -hmm. year. It was late to come to the party, and now it's it's collapsed to a certain degree. Something we warned about is, you know, for months that we thought was going to happen. Um, and um, it's a cyclical, especially beef is very, very cyclical. Talked about cotton, talked about crude, talked about copper. 
um, you know, the beef, the beef cutout price has been falling now for almost three months straight. Um, the consumer's not going to pay that kind of money for beef now, given their stressed finances. It's just not going to happen. But, but historically, you don't put a major top in. We, we put a top in. But the major top usually occurs after we're done herd rebuilding in the U.S. We haven't even started yet. So while I think this weakness and this period of stress can continue in cattle through the first quarter, because um, we have a lot of cattle on feed that have to come through the system, I think once we get to the second quarter onward and we start legitimately getting the herd rebuilding cycle going, then your, your animal availability is going to abs- is going to shrink even tighter than it was last year. And if we start lowering rates and we start printing money, and the government starts handing money out to buy votes, and the economy looks like it's going to do better, beef demand is going to come back when there's no animals. So that says to me the back half of 24 looks like we could have another um, exciting period for prices, but you have to get through the valley of the shadow of death right now, which is what we were trying to avoid cattle producers from having to, to absorb, is to, is to have to eat what was a tremendous margin a few months ago um, if they didn't take action, you know, now they're just looking to sell, you know, bounces along the way to try to get some better advantage. So not very excited about the next uh, quarter, but I'm very excited about cattle prices in the back half of 24. So if I'm on the physical buy side of cattle, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities here in the first quarter to lock, to lock in, you know, a long-term economic advantage, whether you're, you know, <coughs> JBS or you're, you know, any of those. Any of those packing houses, you know, there's, there's, there should be a really good opportunity here in the first quarter, I think, to lock in some, some good economic advantage on cattle. Same thing for, for pork. It's just the difference in pork is, um, uh, you know, we just have the ASF equation that we don't have going on in cattle at this point. So there's a little bit of a more complicated um, situation. And, and you'd have, you know, I, I, I don't know why the U.S. consumer doesn't want to buy and eat pork more readily, given how cheap it is. Maybe we don't want to. I mean, have we have we lost our interest in pork as a consumer? Is the flavor not there? Have I, you know? I hear a lot of people in the industry that know a lot more about it than I do that say that the U.S. producer went for efficiency versus flavor, and that we're very efficient, but we we're producing a, a, a product that's not flavorful, and because of that, the consumer is not acting in the manner that you would expect them to act economically. I'm not. Uh, knowledgeable enough to know exactly to the, to the extent that that is true, but from some people I really trust, that is what they're telling me. And that the way to get the, the hog industry turned around is to start going for flavor and quality uh, more more so than efficiency. And you know, usually economic distress forces action in industries to do something different than what they've been doing. Because obviously, if you need to create more flavor to create a better pork cutout price and that and that if that was what needs to happen then the best producers are going to do that and they're going to stay in business and they're going to make a better product so that's the hope going forward <clears throat> that through through this the industry can, can be that much right better on. coming out of it i so. dig it man all right sean good stuff as usual if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at hackett financial what's the best way to do that our website is hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors with an s.com twitter page at Faradex 11. We have a LinkedIn page. From time to time, we'll put interviews 
uh, up there. We'll make some comments about a few things. We, we're not habitual posters, but from time to time, we do try to give you some insight on some of the things we're looking at, especially our climate work that gives, we think, our customers an edge in long-term hedging and 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 um, and, and cash marketing. So. Check that out, guys. If you have a chance to go check out Sean's site, man, make sure you do that. There's a ton of great information there um, that you can find a lot of good information on there. So check that out. Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Always a blast, Casey. Right Always look forward to If you want to send a question it, so. in for me to ask Sean or any other guest on the Moving Iron podcast, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can go to Snapchat at Moving Iron podcast you can go to linkedin at moving iron podcast you can go to tiktok at moving iron podcast you can go to the youtube version of this and moving iron podcast check it out there and you can send all your questions in that way or you can go to moving iron llc.com and there's a contact me page there where you can send your question as well so uh you want to send me an email send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron podcast.com and i will uh, respond to that uh as soon as i can so, uh, see, so you have a couple big announcements coming out here uh, over the course of the of this month and going into next month that I'm pretty interested to share. And hopefully I'll have a new website up here in January that will be even more fantastic for your inter- internet viewing pleasure. So check that out there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, We have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century